Hello, and welcome back to the SCP Podcast, the Secure Contain Podcast P, with me, Dave, and, and not Dave. And not Dave. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, have, uh, we haven't recorded together in, like, a month or two. Yeah, it's been... Because we had, we had the backlog of episodes, and, and then, then there was the solo episode, so... And, yeah, so school started, and that ruined things. Um, <laughs> and now that I've got a handle on that, every piece of technology conspired against me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's all fixed, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, uh, today, as Soren described it beforehand, uh, today's our half-spooky episode. Because the um, next one's gonna come out just after Halloween? Yeah, so we're, we're doing what we can beforehand in order to compensate for that. Um, we, uh, <laughs> the first one we're doing is, uh, SCP-2006, also known as Too Spooky. Uh, it was suggested by, uh, user just underscore some underscore guy in uh our uh discord on the, um, uh, in january in of 2019 january of 2019 so we said we would get to it and we are technically we have never lied in you're ever. welcome <laughs> um, i'm sorry it took so long but yeah we're doing it now um i hope you if you are for some fucking reason still listening to this i hope you enjoy it yeah. um so yeah so we're doing uh too spooky there is a tale associated with that that we're going to be reading called tricks and then, um, assumedly, I will probably have some time afterwards. We're gonna do uh, number two zero two eight called Nightmare Snow Globes. Um, yeah. Well, so first we're gonna we'll start with two thousand six, and then yeah, yeah, just go from there. Um, do you wanna uh, start it off? Absolutely. One? So there's a little image here that uh, is the first thing uh, I want to say. It looks like it looks like Bigfoot with a space helmet. Yeah, gorilla costume with like a cheap metal helmet on the head. And underneath this is a screenshot from Robot Monster, Wade Williams Distribution. Number is 2006, clearly. Object class is Keter. This is a really good rating, too. Yeah, 1433. That's a pretty high one. Mm-hmm. All right. It is, says containment procedures. It is to be contained at Site 118 in an airtight containment cell. It must be constantly monitored for changes in form, which are to be noted immediately. Any personnel coming into contact with 2006 are required to enroll in an acting course with a focus on expressing fear and surprise. <laughs> Every month, 2006 to be shown at least one new, extremely low-quality horror or science fiction movie containing horror elements. All interaction with 2006 must confirm that 2006 continues to believe that said works demonstrate a superb grasp of horror. With the description, uh, 2006 is an anomalous spherical entity, roughly 50 centimeters in diameter, when it is when it when in its default state. Uh, Skip's stated goal is to cause feelings of fear and or horror in as many humans as possible. To accomplish this purpose, 2006 possesses the ability to change the shape, mass, volume, density, chemical structure, and voice to any form that it desires. Currently, there is no known way to damage 2006. The extent of its shape-shifting abilities is unknown and is currently thought to be unlimited. Currently, 2006 has demonstrated a fondness for taking the forms of various entities and villains from the various horror and science fiction movies that it has witnessed. The most common form that 2006 has taken is that of Ro-Man from the 1953 Robot Monster, which is that picture uh, be- from before. 2006 is capable of speaking even when it possesses the form of an entity that is normally unable to speak. 2006 will generally attempt to startle and or scare any individual it comes into contact with, but after doing so, will become affable and friendly. The reason behind this is currently unknown. Although 2006 has repeatedly stated its goal of causing as much fear as possible, 2006 is a poor judge of concepts that cause fear in humans, and constantly searches for new methods in which to accomplish its goal. 
This poor recognition extends to recognition of emotions in humans, and 2006 is incapable of distinguishing between subtle differences in emotions that would be obvious to a human. Uh, so then there's an interview log. Um, would you like to be to be 2006 and I can be Dr. Loaf? Yes, I, I absolutely would love to be it. Okay, so uh, this is interview log just with the, with the skip. Uh, interviewer is Dr. Loaf, which is me. Um, Dr. Loaf enters the room. 2006 is seen crouched near the door. 2006 is in its roman form. 2006 proceeds to, proceeds to leap out of its crouch, throwing its arms in the air. Fear me, mortal. I am the mighty roman. Cower in fear. Dr. Loaf screams and stumbles backwards, raising his hand in protection. Please, mighty roman, don't hurt me. Don't... <sighs> <laughs> It's just me, Doc. I got you pretty good, didn't I? 2006? Oh, oh dear lord. You really frightened me there. I was about to have a heart attack. It's what I do, Doc. Haha. <laughs> Boo! Dr. Loaf stumbles again. <laughs> Still got it. So, was there something you wanted to talk about, Doc? Y yes, I, I was wondering. Why exactly do you feel the need to cause fear in others? I don't understand the question. That is, why do you scare people? Oh, that's an easy one. I scare people because it's fun. And you know, it's just what I do. Just like you do doctory stuff, I do scary stuff. I'm the best at it. I don't really see what else there is about it. Well, that you are. I'll take my leave then. Come back around soon. I'll have some really scary stuff next time. By the way, I will eat your soul. Let me out of here. I'm going to die of fright. I like this dude. I like this dude. I like him. He's fun. <laughs> you want to read that addendum? Oh, absolutely. The current site director for Site-118 has issued the following memorandum regarding 2006. I have been getting reports of some lax behavior regarding 2006. Many personnel have been heard laughing at it during surveillance when it watches a new movie or when it attempts to scare individuals. Some personnel have been heard questioning why 2006 is classified as a Keter entity. I am here to remind you that a Keter entity is a Keter entity regardless of how innocuous it may seem. No, it is not a rampaging demigod, nor is it a regenerating super lizard. However, it possesses the same level of danger as any other Keter that the Foundation has contained. Think of its purpose. It wishes to scare people. Imagine what would happen if 2006 broke containment and found out what really scared people. Imagine if it saw the horror and fear of war, or the concepts of paranoia, or phobias common to each and every human being. Imagine if it found the true horror of a nuclear holocaust, or an XK-class scenario. Now couple that with an entity that possesses shape-shifting abilities with no known limits, and you'll understand why it's classified as Keter. All personnel mentioned above have been suitably disciplined. Do not want to hear about this again. Dr. Randall Owings, Site-118 Director. Okay. Yeah, so then that's, that's kind of fair. Yeah. That's, once, you get, once you think about it like that, it's like, alright, well, yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty fucking bad. Yeah, but be until bad. Now, and, until then, he can be a, a, a spooky little monkey man. He can be a monkey man. He can be monkey. Okay, you know, tricks. This one is yes, rated is, plus thirty. <laughs> this is yeah. This is that um, that tail that is supposedly associated with it. Um, do you want to start off, or do you want me to? Um, you can start off. We'll do. We'll swap at each little break. <laughs> okay. All right. Um. Okay. So once again, this is called tricks. She never saw it coming. No one did. It plunged the fingers of one bony hand between her shoulder blades and felt her flesh melt and bubble around them. She sizzled like steak in the cold autumn air. Her eyes rolled up into her head and her mouth flopped open, hands flailing around spastically as she groped in vain for a way to free herself. So this is a pretty quick disconnect from what we just read. 
Yeah, a little bit, tonal. The woman sitting, yeah, just a bit. The woman sitting next to her was the first to notice. Her scream pierced the darkness of the night and she fell backwards, staining her pink princess dress with dark mud. One look into its rotten, milky black eyes sent her scuttling backwards away from her friend. Beer cans and liquor bottles clattered as the rest of the college students made what would be a vain attempt at escaping the horror that was pulling out their friend's organs like packing peanuts. Her head backwards, wait, yeah, her head backwards and her eyes went dark. That's a weird place to have that sentence, but okay. It slid two fingers dripping with corrosive oil into her mouth and around her gums. When the flesh melted and poured down her throat, it wrenched an incisor free of her jaw and inspected its prize. It could take the other teeth later. There was hunting to be done. One party goer lost his Dracula cape in a struggle to go, get away from the fire. His pants were stained with dirt and blood and urine. He had no idea where he was, and he was definitely drunk. His pudgy frame wasn't equipped to run from danger. When he looked back, he could see the campfire in the distance, the firelight still illuminating that horrible, rotted face. The thing began to sink downwards along what remained of his friend in a slow and dramatic fashion, as though it were caught in quicksand. Down and down and down they went until nothing was left, and the fire vanished. He turned around and ran. The more distance he put between himself and that crazy hobo, the better. I think it's a little bit more than a crazy hobo, but... I think it's supposed to be 106. 106? Old man. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe, yeah, I don't fair. know. Uh, it had already proven that it was stealthily, stealthily enough to sneak up behind them and catch them unawares. He would have to run as fast as his stubby, aching legs could carry him. He didn't get far. His foot caught on a tree branch, and he went tumbling face first into what seemed at first like a pool of muddy water. As soon as it touched his lip, he knew it wasn't water. It tasted foul and reminded him vaguely of that time he held a penny in his mouth for 30 seconds on a dare. It tasted like copper and vomit and rotten eggs and felt like his face had been smeared with acidic syrup. He tried to scream as his eyes ran down his face like a popped yolk cooked sunny side up, but something was in the way. Fingers like iron gripped his tongue. He gurgles as they slid upwards down his throat in the face of the hobo. The old man was visible in the slurry. The fingers tasted worse, like drinking oil and weak old mayonnaise. That's very specific. <laughs> the whole and hand entered his mouth, his tongue dissolving around it like sugar and tea, and the dying college student was pushed upwards as the old man emerged. He licked the mixture of oil and eye jelly from the face before him and let his hand slide out the back of the kid's head. The skull cracked around his arm as it made contact. Liquid brain matter slid down his arm and onto the floor, and the head soon became a sludgy ruin. The old man let the skull fracture like an overheated window pane, splintering as the body slid gradually off his arm. He could come back for this one, too. The night was young and full of treats to collect. Treats, okay. interestingly enough, is a... Link um, to... So this is called Tricks. The story is called Treats, and I've noticed that one's rated much higher, and a... So Treats was written for Halloween Contest 2012, and it does involve 106, and that's just a glance, so we'll read that after. Um, and this one was written for the contest 2018. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. Yeah. A specific, this, this one seems to be a fun, a unique interpretation of 106. Yeah. And the other one, too. People like to do weird things with 106 as a character. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember the one where... Um... Never mind. I don't remember. Whatever. I'll read the next one. <laughs> Okay. The old man hadn't hunted like this in years. He'd focused his gaze on a young boy and the woman holding him. She was huddled around his small form like a suit of armor, not that it would do either of them any good. Her arms were wrapped around his back and she was whispering something into his ear. The woman saw when the old man rose out of his pool and his eyes became dinner plates. She stumbled away from the creature, tugging on the boy's sleeve to try and get him to follow her. 
It was about to be too late for them both. The predator reached out for the boy as he turned around, ready to twist his fingers around its bones and sinew and turn them into ropey sludge. When his hands brushed against the Hollister hoodie, they stopped. The old man had never... What? The old man had never, not once, not in all his time hunting, been denied this way. It pushed forward again, but the body would not give. The boy did not budge. The old man made a sound that might have been confused with a grunt of frustration and lowered his face to the boy's, mouth wide open and horrible flailing tongue swirling in fearsome patterns. The little boy's eyes snapped open. The beam of light that erupted from his eye sockets would have blinded the old man if he was human. It tried to back away, but the thing that wasn't a little boy to retreat to the hunting ground, but it felt a vice grip on its arm. Stubby little fingers held like iron while the prey stood up. It didn't look like a little boy anymore. White hot eyes blazed from a face chiseled out of marble. His muscular body, one that would have put Adonis himself to shame, stood erect at just over six feet tall. The fingers, once short and hefty, had become wide, strong things that made the old man's skin blister and crack. The old man began to descend into its haven, but before the pole of black ooze reached its knees, another hand with fingers the size of cucumbers wrapped around its emancipated waist. The thing that was no longer prey lifted the thing that was no longer a predator in the air. The old man saw its reflection in the metallic sheen of the creature's body as it descended. A few errant bubbles popped on top of the pool below it, and then the pool shrank to nothing. The former predator was not touching a surface for the first time in a long time. No walls, no floors or ceilings, no trees. Its legs flailed uselessly in the air as it was held aloft, powerful hands clenching its waist and arm. The bright statue opened its impossibly wide mouth and the old man saw them, row upon row of pristine white teeth. Corrosive fluid dripped into the maw of the creature and hardened and flaked off, its the teeth still clean and unmarred. As the old man stared deep into the endless chasm, three words came from the shining being. Are you scared? The old man responded by opening its foul mouth. Vile dripping from its lips and gums onto this thing, whatever it was, but the vile fluid bubbled and evaporated it too, as soon as it touched the skin. The brackish ooze rolled off in rivulets, then steady droplets, then barely even that. Soon it stopped altogether, and the old man was still suspended in the air. I know what scared looks like! The words filled the woods, and the old man tried and failed to recoil from their force. I'm the best at scaring people. No one is better than I am, especially not you. You are old, and you are not scary. The lights dimmed as the creature closed the jaws it called eyelids, and when they opened again, they revealed eye sockets full of hundreds more teeth. The old man let out a pained shriek that sounded almost fearful. After a few more minutes of flailing, it went limp in the arms of its captor. Holding its prize in the air above him, the statue man turned to the young woman and spoke in a loud, commanding tone. Greetings, human teenager. It is I, the mighty Roman. Are you scared of me? I am very fearsome, and my diet consists mainly of humans, especially adolescent ones for some reason. She had no words. She promptly fainted. <laughs> so. I fucking love this guy. I, this I, as we were really... reading that, as you were reading that, I was like, did we fuck up? Like, is this, like, not actually associated with 2006? But, no, it, it is. Okay. This is a fun tale. Um, There's another tale that's linked here at, um, just the in the next Rome. section. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, the mighty, no, the mighty Rome. Yeah, the mighty Roman links to the SCP. Those, the section below has another one, so we'll read those two, I think. Um, I like this dude. Like, this interpretation of 106 is like, nah, because, nah. Um, 106 is a lot of things to different people, but also I really like what they're doing here. Yeah. This okay. is fun. So the the next section is, once again, starts with that. I'm going to do, I'm going to do 2006's dialogue. <laughs> you want to? Yeah. Just, okay. just whenever it's him. Okay. All right. Researcher Lowe handed the woman a styrofoam cup of coffee as the November dawn broke over the horizon. She fed her the usual company lines about it being dark, her being scared, and her mind turning a coked-up, homeless man into a supernatural killer. 
It costs AM, that's fixing the coffee, did the job as Jolo gave her a reassuring pat on the back before heading over to her boss. You took a big risk here today, Miss Lowe. Dr. Lope regarded her with suspicion as she approached him. Yes, I did, Lowe admitted as she stopped in front of him, her hands in her pockets. I think it paid off, though, and even better than expected. I'd never seen one of six this docile. Did you see 2006 hold the old man over his head like a Tuscan raider? We've never had to re we never had a recapture go this smoothly. He was only gone for a couple hours, and he barely made it out of these woods. The SCP Foundation is greatly wary of using anomalies to capture or contain other anomalies, Dr. Loaf went on. It has caused no small amount of trouble for us in the past. I know, Doctor, Loaf said. But this isn't Omega-7, and SCP-2006 isn't able. He's not going to fly off the handle and kill everyone. In fact, I think he's proven that that is the furthest thought from his mind. 2006 was nearby, watching as a containment specialist loaded the old man onto the truck. She saw it out of the corner of her eye, and for a moment she forgot that this uncanny beast was the same over-eager robot monster fan she'd come to regard with friendliness. She waved. 2006 turned his teeth-filled eyes towards her, and for the first time during her tenure with it, she didn't have to fake her fear. It was beside her in an instant. Was I scary, Miss Jo? 2006's usual jovial tone coming out of the bright, shining Adonis of the mouth where his eyes should have been sent a genuine shiver down her spine. Oh yes, she said truthfully. No one is as scary as you, 2006. I'm not sure about that, said Dr. Loaf. At least he hasn't assumed his most terrifying form yet. Of course, Joe lied, picking up on his scheme. There isn't a man alive who doesn't fear Roman. She clapped a hand over her mouth as if she had not meant to say that. Really? <gasps> In the space between blinks, it was back to his preferred gorilla suit and space helmet getup, so we were right about what that was. Cower before me! Please spare me, oh great Roman, researcher Lowe shrieked as she threw her hands over her head in a practice over-dramatized fashion. Dr. Lowe followed her lead. <laughs> Relax, guys, it's just me. I didn't like that costume much anyway. Roman is so much scarier. Oh, skip 2006, Lowe said with a, with a feigned relief. You changed out of that silly costume that wasn't scary in the slightest. It made you look ridiculous. Not good at all for the master of scaring. This is I you. Completely lost everything. That guy was pretty scared of it. 2006 pointed at Gorilla Paw 106, who was being loaded into containment van by a caterer of soldiers and their solar weapons. What does he even know about being scary? Lil scoffed, her lip curled up in a derisive snarl. I bet he doesn't even know who Roger Corman is. I'm looking at this real quick. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so he made The Little Shop of Horrors movie in 1960. He has a book entitled How I Made a Hundred Movies and Never Lost a Dime, so I think that's I think he's the he's made a lot of like cheap horror movies in yeah. the like sixties and seventies and up to like eighties. I think is when he made it. He was that dude that made all the cheap shit. One of them is uh twenty seventeen movie Death Race twenty fifty. I feel like I've heard of that. He's okay. He's made at least two different Little Shop of Horror attractions. He made Machine Gun Kelly <laughs> the movie. Um, wait, what? You said Machine Gun Kelly the movie from nineteen fifty eight. Okay, I was like, wait the fuck, uh, hold the fuck up. <laughs> Chronicling the criminal activities of the real-life George Machine Gun Kelly. We're going on a rabbit hole. Um, a major yeah. turning point in here, because it was from this film, he began to get serious critical attention. Um, yeah, 1958. It was a double feature with the Bonnie Parker story. Interesting. All right. Uh, uh... This Wikipedia article is so short. <laughs> There's three sentences for plot. That's wow. fun. That's your homework. <laughs> Read up on the Machine Gun Kelly movie. Ha! What a fake scary guy. He broke the biggest... Sorry. Oh, my bad. I said 2006 out of his teeth chattered. He broke the biggest rule of scaring people and everything. What is that, 2006? Dr. He... Wolf asked. He killed them. Duh. 
2006 with what little sarcasm it knew. People have to be alive to scare them. You can't scare dead people, Doc. Dr. Loth drew a long breath and through his nose and let it out slowly. Wait until Dr. Owings hears how scary you are, Lois said excitedly. Will he be scared knowing I was outside of containment? Eh, maybe a little, she said with a defeated shrug. But, but you know what would really terrify him? What would make him toss and turn in his bed at night before he wakes up in a cold sweat? <gasps> what? If you went back into your containment cell. What's that? What could possibly be more terrifying than knowing the master is scaring his mere meters away all, at all times? At any moment, the rector owing could walk by your containment cell and look in on you and see nothing. You would be there in the shadows, waiting for the right moment. Then I'd jump out at him and yell, BOO! 2006 threw its gorilla arms over its head and clattered the jaw of the skull on its astronaut helmet. I'm going to die of fright, Dr. <laughs> screamed. He threw his arms in the air and locked his elbows, giving as much sincerity to the jazz hands as he could. <laughs> next year, yeah, and next oh year, God. I'll show you a tradition we have. It's called trick-or-treating. You can go around to the offices of Site-118, put on your best scary face, and say, trick-or-treat. Then, if you're scary enough, you get candy. That sounds like the most fun I could ever have. 2006 said in the most sincere tone Jolo had ever heard it use. I thought you'd say that, she said with a grin. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Oh my god. Okay, so, this guy. treats I don't think has anything to do with this dude. But the one that's re linked on Researcher Lowe's uh, name, Worse Than Fear, is. So let's do treats first, and then we'll get back to this cool dude. Okay. S so treats has a six plus 600 rating. Mm-hmm. Um, is a I tail. Can I can read the little thing at the top. And, and then I'll read the main, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so there's a little little note at the top. It says, I would like to here again state that 106 is not, as it's commonly believed, a basic predator. So this is, once again, 106. On par with an advanced shark. 106 is a sentient being, albeit a totally alien one. 106 appears to be aware of several things beyond the scope of pure instinct and genetic memory. 106 consistently breaches at moments where recovery and containment are most difficult. A fox, a fox may see his way out of a trap, but only a man will wait for his captors to look away to escape. Dr. Alec quote-unquote, on sentience and contained humanoids. All right. Okay. For fuck's sake, where the hell is it? Agent Wang sighed, rubbing his face through his mask. The night was chill, but all three men were sweating badly. All around them surged horrors, monsters, demons, fantasy beasts, and animate objects, giggling and roaring as they wandered. The three men in gas masks and armored suits looked underdressed, if anything. As they stood, one man suddenly reached out, a gloved fist grabbing a mildly drunk zombie and tugging it close for a few seconds, before releasing him back to the surge of humanity, the undead beast cursing and stumbling away. Fucking Halloween bullshit. We need to seal this whole area. Agent Drax shook his head, gesturing to the traveling packs of costume revelers. The rail car popped up close to the city. It wasn't even supposed to be on this track. They think M uh, key and D, Marshal Carter and Dark, might have buggered up something. Can't clamp the whole town without major fallout. And what the hell do they think will happen now? The old bastard is out there. We can't even fucking find him. Wen kicked a discarded wrapper, glaring through tinted lenses at everyone who didn't have to chase hell for a living. Jack panned the feuding man, feuding, fuming man in the back. Easy, big fella. Command figures the old man takes a couple people, then does his lazy crocodile thing. That's easy to cover, then why a major city had to be quarantined on Halloween. Parks, until now little more than a statue, crackled in with his broken, rusty voice. How hard is it to find a rotten old man that kills everything it touches? Wang shook his head, still scanning the crowd. He just looks like an old man most of the time. He can look however he wants. Normally we tell people to just follow the screaming. 
That fucking lot of good that does now. Where the hell is our expert? A brittle, creaking chuckle rolled over the radio. Harkins says he's much of an expert on 106 as our plane crash survivor is as an expert on aviation. They won't field lab techs until our initial eval. We're on our own for now. The three men stood, awash in horrors, looking for one that would put the rest to shame. The drunk angel, a- angel wandered on the edge of the fire. Demons, zombies, and pop culture icons swirled around her, moving like a single mass before scattering into small clusters and pairs, only to surge back together again. The bonfire seemed to roar in time with the pounding music. The field chosen for the sudden teen invasion just far enough to avoid noise complaints, but not far enough to attract unwanted adult oversight. Alcohol flowed, people giggled, and the sharp snap of lowered inhibitions and teen angst was thick in the chill air. The night was still young, yet already several parrots had drifted from the comfort of the fire to seek other comforts in the dark, private woods ringing the field. The angel glared at the silent trees, taking another pull on an almost empty beer. She drained it, tossed it down, to meet a holocaust of its brothers being slowly kicked and stamped into the soft dirt. She should be there, being held in warm arms, kissing a warm mouth, but no. She had decided to run with the one boy who seemed to think the moment before a party was the best time to bring up his quote-unquote words about our relationship. Bastard. The angel, now with lopsided wings, started to wander to those cool, dark trees. Fuck him. If he wanted to toss her aside, fine, but that didn't mean she wouldn't get to have fun still. She giggled a bit, smiling for the first time in a while. Why not have a little fun? Play a trick and get her treat. She laughed, the flush of wicked amusement and booze high in her cheeks. She seen one of the boys from her study hall wander back here. From her study hall, wander back here. Maybe she could find him, get a little better acquainted. She walked into the cooler darkness, the occasional giggle, snip, snip of a whisper, or a flash of glow stick, the only indication of life. She stumbled over a root, staggering forward and bracing her hand on a slimy tree trunk. She yanked her hand almost away instantly, the gritty, oozing texture making her palm burn, the loss of support almost sending the angel sprawling. She squinted at her hand, making out a smear of gritty, fibrous jelly coating it, the burning getting worse as she noticed the odd pits eaten into the trunk of the tree. The angel shivered, suddenly sober, and very aware of the fact that nobody knew where she was, that she knew of nobody close enough to even call for. She tried to rub her palm against the poofy skirts, not noticing the red and black smears she made on it, eyes wide and staring, some deep, dim part of her primordial brain ringing an alarm. She started to walk, quickly, focusing on the waving beacon of the bonfire, trying to make herself feel silly, to ignore the swelling, unreasoning panic. A twig broke behind her. She froze, a white shade, one hand dripping blood from a corrosive injury she would have been horrified about had she looked. The angel didn't dare look back, but she was terrified to run, to hear something following, reaching, grabbing. Moments later, moments passed, filled with nothing. The angel finally resolving to run right at the... Right at the moment when a thin, bony hand reached through her costume and into the muscles of her back like a nasty child squishing his hands into a cake. She screamed, or tried to. The sound squelched to a little more than a harsh bark by the sheer volume of pain, limbs suddenly boneless and leaden, nerves dead except for agony. She felt fingers touching her ribs from the inside, even as they were slowly eaten away and corroded, her body shifting slowly to face the hand's owner. The flicker of the distant fire showed something withered, dark, slimy and pulpy soft, but wiry and strong. Two milky black eyes glistened at her, and a two-large head hovering over a frozen corpse grin, teeth thin and chipped. The pinned angel gasped and blubbered, feeling an oily burning corruption seeping into her body, trying to ignore a slow, falling feeling, trying not to feel the ground below her turning mushy and soft, swallowing both fingers inch by inch. It leaned closer, and despite the searing horror of that face, some still sane part of her welcomed what was surely an approaching end to her pain. It lingered, however, the other twisted claw of a hand rising as the ground started to swallow their hips. The new touch made the angel lucid with a new fear, 
her face locking onto those rotten eyes. She recognized the shine behind them and started to scream with a new, repulsed horror, even as it started to pull both her dress and skin away in sodden ribbons. Okay, well. So yeah, so that went, that went in pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> this turn. adds a lot of... This, I've noticed these tales like to add a lot of... Uh, well, I think the other one mostly took it from this tale, but likes to add a lot of more personality to 106, which I kind of do like, actually. Well, I think it makes it a little bit... It makes it more spooky, if anything. Yeah, like right? When you... Like, it's intentional. Yeah. yeah I'm, Maybe it is. <laughs> I'm coming around on this. Jason ran, lungs burning, trying to yell for help between sharp gasps of air. His Batman costume felt like such a joke now, running between streetlights, filling that warm spot of Piona's pants. Where was everyone? It had been so stupid, trying to be the big, brave kids and go out alone. No, he really was alone and his friends had probably been eaten. He didn't know this for sure, but when the boogeyman dropped out of a tree and started shoving kids into a wall that was suddenly like quicksand, it was probably a safe bet. He hadn't even been able to do anything, just watch as those long, bony fingers grabbed his two best friends and just yanked them away, like dolls, barely screaming before the squishy black wall gulped them up. The boogeyman, it hooked his fingers into David's eyes like Dad had taught him to hold a bowling ball, and Jason was abruptly sick down the front of his costume, the half-digested mass of chocolate looking unsettlingly like the goo that had splattered everywhere while a tall, lanky, naked old man had landed out of the tree. He stopped, stumbling to his knees, coughing and gagging, wailing out a weak scream for help to the dim night. It drifted off, unheeded, the boy unable to even sob, too numb with exhaustion and horror. He barely noticed the footsteps until they were nearly on top of him. He looked up, ready to beg whatever adult he saw for help. Then he saw the legs, thin, black. The feet looking pulpy and flat with age, the concrete under them turning cracked and gooey. Jason looked up more, shaking more and more violently. The withered hips, the sticky soft chest that didn't rise or fall, and finally that nightmare head, looking like some kind of rotten pumpkin, but black and oily as a bucket of tar. The eyes locked on the boys, as shiny and flat as a, as blank as a flashlight in a basement. The teeth parted, some kind of rolling, slimy blackness shifting inside. Jason stumbled back, gasping, trying to scream but unable to even breathe correctly. He stared at the boogeyman as he rolled something in the palm of that thin, beaten hand, pulling it between the two bony fingers and lifting it to his mouth. The boy thought it was candy or something, but then he saw the glint of metal. It was his best friend Anthony's front tooth. It still had the bracket from his braces on it. The boogeyman placed it between his teeth, gently, the tooth still wine and clean, white and clean in that filthy, dripping mouth. He seemed to hold it there for a moment. Then his jaw bunched and the tooth shivered, then burst like a jawbreaker under a car tire. He chewed it twice, then just stopped, still staring at the boy. It seemed to go on and on, Jason unsure if he was even breathing anymore, knowing this was the end. This was what happened when you didn't listen. When you went off alone, the boogeyman came and took you, forever and always. But he didn't. He turned, seeming to get ready to take a step, then fell forward slowly like an old man tripping over a shoe. The black monster almost hit the ground, but just fell through it like it was made of nothing, nothing but a black smear left behind it on the concrete, and a tiny, corroded bracket from the tooth. When they found it, hours later, when they found him, hours later, he gripped it hard enough to embed it in his palm. The boy sat, comforted and miserable. His mother had been nice enough to let him at least wear his Mario costume, but even he had to admit he was probably too sick to walk around the house, let alone outside for hours, in the cold. He'd woken up vomiting, and it had just continued, his parents hoping for the best, but finally forced to cancel the trick-or-treating. As sad as he was, they did their try to best to make it up. They did their best to try to make it up to him. There was a small bowl of candy for him, with the promise any leftovers would be given to him, and he could watch all the scary movies he liked. Knock, knock. Trick or treat! Aw, oh, such a cute turtle. And what are you, honey? I'm Rapunzel. Well, here you go, princess. Thank you. He hadn't even wanted to help pass things out. 
It was better to just try and ignore things, just pretend everyone else was inside too. That made it better. He tugged the floppy down, hat down a bit, trying to convince himself that his tummy wasn't feeling like a hedgehog was rolling around inside. He watched the zombies lurch across the screen, half wishing that the screaming people running from the houses were kids from school. Knock, knock. Trick or treat. Oh, what a nice vampire. I'm Dracula. Or I'm Draculara. Rar. So fearsome. Here you go. Thank you. He turned up the movie, the slow groans of the walking dead drowning out the happy shouts of the living. The worst was going to be tomorrow, being forced to listen to everyone, watch them eating candy, and talking about how different houses, talking about different houses and adventures. He sighed and swallowed thickly, his stomach doing another slow, oily roll. The boy pushed away the candy he'd been nibbling, suddenly sickened by even the smell. Knock. Hello? Oh. Uh, are you with- Oh, God! The sudden rising shriek of his mother made the boy suddenly bolt upright, his stomach clenching even worse, but now totally forgotten. He couldn't see her from the crouch, but he could hear noises, thumping and muffled shouts and some kind of slammy-sounding rustle, like sewage over dry leaves. He stood and, starting to peer around the short wall blocking the entryway, called with a hesitant voice, scared of not getting a response, but almost equally so of getting one. He was only a few feet away when the hand whipped around the wall, gripping it tightly. It was black and gray and thin, as bony and thin-skinned as his grandmother's, with wide, flat nails gripping the paint hard. Where it touched, a black stain was spreading, like grease on a paper bag, the knuckles looking puffy and thick as they flexed. This boy stared, backing up slowly, calling again for his mother, his voice starting to plead. The hand flexed, actually sinking into the wall as that stain spread, and a nightmare peeped around the corner. The head was thick, misshapen, misshapen and lumpy, like a poorly made scarecrow, the skin thin and jelly-like. Two hard, glistening eyes, the color of a maggot, stared from above the thin, wide slash of a mouth. Their eyes locked, and the boy felt fear watch from his head down to his feet, his stomach boiling like a forgotten kettle. His nerves screamed to run, to run away, but he couldn't make, him, he couldn't make himself stop watching those eyes, feet moving slowly backwards like a sleepwalker. The hand and face shifted a bit, and there was a wet, heavy, dragging noise as his mother was pulled into view. She was dead, or close to it, moving, moved forward by the hand in her chest like a sock puppet, bits of her black and pulpy smears of that black stain eating into her face, her neck, her arms. Her chest was a black, jelly-coated jelly hole, the thing's other hand buried in it up to the wrist, the bloodless, ruined remains of his mother hanging from it like a rag doll. He screamed, threw up, little more than a mess of bile and half-digested snacks, then ran, shrieking up the stairs, begging for his mother, his father, anyone, someone. He slammed into the bathroom, shutting and locking the door, shaking and crying. His dad had gone down the street to visit. He'd be home any second, and he'd fix this, somehow. He'd call the cops or something, get them out of the house, leave that black thing far behind. Maybe Mom was just hurt. People could get really hurt and still be fine. He'd only see her a few seconds. That thing was just some psycho in some costume. He'd probably run off as soon as he heard someone coming, and then it'd be okay. It'd be fine. He kept whispering this to himself, feet braced on the sink, back against the door. He was still repeating it when the face pushed through the wood above him. He heard the crackle, looked up to see that hell face looking down inches above his head. The floor under his feet suddenly felt sludgy and soft as he stared, the mouth splitting open to let a tongue as rotten and bloated as a dead fish roll free, and down and down, sliding down onto that horrified face like a syrup, burning even as he felt his leg sinking down and down, unable to even really move as that soft, slimy flesh burned like an acid into his face, feeling his nose cook down like an overused eraser, screaming just long enough to catch a few feet of that endless tug in his mouth, gagging hard before the nerves died, starting to pass out as he felt the nightmare taste in his eyes. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs>
I don't know where Soren went. I think he died, perhaps. Oh, he uh, he said he has to go for a few minutes. If you get to the end before I am back, just clap a few times for editing. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to just keep reading it because that's works. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just keep reading that. Drac awoke feeling like he'd been sleeping on a pile of rusty car parts. He sat up, twisting and trying to locate the source of the throbbing pain in his leg. That memory started to flood back, hitting like a freight train, running across town, slamming through a crowd, seeing the withered, crumbling arm laying on the ground. Screams, people running, that horrible black face sliding up from the ground, eyes locked on his, parks firing, more screams, a withered hand reaching, gripping, pulling. Oh god, no. He looked around in welling horror, pleading with his own brain to lie to him. The room was dark, dirty, and low-ceilinged, tufts of dirt and debris in the corners, the grayish paint peeling and ragged streamers, the same ceiling and floor warped and lumpy. A doorway opened into darkness, a vague, insistent noise sounding from far off. The light was dim, but didn't seem to come from anywhere, seeming just a weak, omnipresent glow with a slightly green cast, like deep ocean water. Excuse me. Drac knew this room, even though he'd never been here. At least one's very much like it. The old man liked to dump his new catches here before he found them. Drac rose quickly, hunching down to avoid a sagging bulge of ceiling. He barely wanted his shoes touching this place, let alone anything else. He winced, feeling a dull, empty ache in his leg, high in the cast. Probably where it grabbed him, and damned if he was going to check it. He limped a few steps, making sure it could bear weight, eyes sweeping over every surface. He breathed slow, deeply, remembering the file, the brief. Time was subjective. He could have been out for seconds or weeks. He liked to play cat and mouse, tracking through its home or playroom or whatever the fuck it was. Space was endless, but sometimes people got out or were released. Keep moving, don't hide, because it was God here and would know. He felt pan he felt panic slithering around the edges of his brain and pushed it down hard, face set and grim as he stepped out into the darkness behind beyond the doorway. The hall was long and broken like a hospital hallway after an earthquake. No big holes, just twisted and tilted oddly. He creeped down, as close to a wall as he could get without touching it, feeling gritty plaster crunch under his feet. The noise was louder, the sound of high-pitched, monotonous crying. It set the teeth on edge, but they said it would be like this. The key was to keep moving, keep looking. Yes, it was endless, but if you kept on the move, it seemed like 106 got confused, or lost track of things, and you could have accidentally wandered back into the world. He kept repeating the steps, the briefing in his head like a prayer, ignoring the part where 106 would typically hunt, hunt escapees forever. He took a right at the end of the hall, passing down another, then a left, starting to move faster, ignoring the odd, corroded twists of a pipe and wire in some of the rooms he passed with his suggestive, soggy mounds of something. The crying kept getting louder, the high-pitched, gurgling wail of a baby. Ignore it. Keep moving. It called the shots. It could make the whole place sound like a dentist drill if it wanted. Drac pounded down a hall, nearly at a dead run, trying not to see the growing dampness of the walls, the changing texture of things. Broken plaster over old, greenish bricks, floor growing from broke vinyl to concrete to dirt. He turned to a corner, too fast, a gooey patch of black causing his foot to skitter, nearly dropping him to his knees as he clutched the bare, wet brick wall. He looked out into the dim, mossy room, the sound of helpless, angry crying very, very loud now. He froze, staring, half-crouched and clutching the wall. It was standing in the middle of the room, a thick, ankle-deep puddle of black jelly at its feet. The old man was turning, slowly rocking in slow, side-to-side -side motions. The crying was coming from within in his arms. It was a torso wrapped in masses of what looked like the barbed wire. The wire threaded in and out of flesh, some places looking like the bleeding skin had flowed like warm taffy over it. 
The ragged remains of the limbs twisted and stretched every movement, making the dire wires dig and tear more. It was hairless, the skin of its bare head and neck looking peeled and rotten, the face a mask of pain. The throat had been opened carefully, twisted and held with wires. The baby crying was, in fact, this grown, mute torso, mutilated to make that pitiful, helpless wail. The old man was watching him, face turned, eyes locked to the man as he slowly tried to stand upright, ignoring the hissing of his boots, trying not to think of what would have been done to the throat to make it sound like a baby in agony, or where that pitiful torso's limbs had gone. It watched him, cracked teeth slightly parted, and slowly stopped its rocking. It dropped the wire-bound bundle, arms going limp at its side as the mass of flesh and pain bounced off the ground, then rested face down in the mossy grime, sending up a new wave of protest between bubbly, sucking breaths. It turned to face him, arms dangling, body wrapped in what looked like some kind of shredded cloth of oozing black fab fabric. Drac ran, bolted like a scared deer, throwing training and conditioning to the wind in the mad, blind, animal panic of escape. He screamed, panted, talked, laughed, anything to drown out the sound of the slow, stuttering steps lurking behind him. He ran and ran and ran, falling and hitting the ground like he'd been hit by a car, gasping and waiting for an end, muscles throbbing. Then they would start again, be soft, rustling footsteps, driving him on and on and on. He didn't know it, but he'd run for four days before the old man started shaking, taking chunks out of him. I think Soren's back. I am. He is? Sorry okay. about that. Hello. Now you're cool. I was just like, hmm, it is quiet. Is he not here? And then I saw your message, and I was like, okay, I'm going to keep reading. All uh, right. You can do that. Uh, there's I'll that one last, last little bit. section yeah. in this one. Recovery was in the pre-dawn hours with no sun or moon and went shockingly smooth, all things considered. 106 was found in the middle of a field, making pumpkins sag and burst by squeezing or stepping on them. The team, a man short, was finally reinforced an hour before they caught it, pushing it back to the recovery chamber with the big halogen sun guns, nearly blinding two of the recovery crew in their zeal to have the old man back under lock and key. It sat in the cell without a moment's attempt to try and escape. It sat and did nothing, head tilted, arms and legs limp. One MPF member stated that it looked sated, and was told to shut up in an official capacity. Disappearances were glossed over, murders quieted and made unnewsworthy, urban legends seated and caressed. Overall, it went well, once the hell was over. Weeks later, an observation tech made a note in the day's log. 106 was observed to suddenly produce a large handful of small light white objects, later identified as teeth and finger bones, and set the pile on the floor. It then sorted these objects into what seemed like random piles, later identified as separated by age of victim. It then stared at these items for several hours, then recollected them. This significance was of this was considered unworthy of contemplation. Look at hell, yo. Treats. He's spooky, man. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, dude. Oh god, that's awful. <laughs> right? It's so bad. Oh my god. Imagine doing like a Halloween costume of this, where you just like, you basically just put on this like, bodysuit and then douse yourself in just filth. Like, yeah, like jelly. You show up to a Halloween party like dripping. I'm just like, what are you, you don't, doing? You don't, say, you don't say any words. You, just you don't say anything. You, you, like, oh. you stare at them. The only go. sound you make is like a vocal fry. Like, oh. <laughs> like really happy fucking breathing. Yeah. That'd be, God, that would be fucked up, yo. Especially if someone like knew what you were. Mm hmm. Like someone who, who's like into this kind of shit. It's like, someone looks and they're like, second. uh. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right. Um, let's like go back to people in the rooms. Let's go back yeah. to fun, 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 scary Roman, man. Uh, worse than fear. This is actually this is wait. Other hold one. on. First, okay. Can't escape it. Capitalism, advertising. Oh, right. Here now. Baba the booby. Advertisement okay. over.
Yeah. Um... I'll start this one off. It's only a plus 50. Um, Joe Lowe <laughs> is not the brightest person at Site 118. This one is called Worse Than Fear, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worse Than Fear. She was not the most skilled or the most punctual or the most professional. It was usually for one of those reasons, or many of her other shortcomings as a junior researcher, that she found Dr. Devane knocking on the wall of her cubicle. This, however, was not one of those days. The area around his widow's peak had reddened slightly, a sign which Joan knew well. She braced herself as the extended manila folder stamped with the word rejected in bold red letters. You're lucky Director Onings just stamped your proposal instead of handing me a box of confetti, he said as Joe sheepishly retrieved her file. You do realize this goes against the very nature of the skip's containment procedures, don't you? I don't think it does, Joe replied. Otherwise, I wouldn't have suggested it. The version of Manos, the hands of fate, without the riffing is perfectly acceptable. The word riffing came out of his mouth like a hairball. It falls exactly within the parameters of 2006's containment procedures. Have your proposal been around the original, unedited films featured on this mystery piece theater program. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, that. Had your proposal featured the original films, but that's just it, Doc, Joe interrupted. 2006 has already seen half of those films, some of them multiple times. Joel and the bots already riffed one of his favorites. He loves romance. How much more will he love watching people talk about romance? The director is afraid this might give him the wrong idea, Miss Law. Dr. Devane's voice was measured and steady, but the telltale red blotches were starting to appear on his neck just behind his ears. The films shown to 2006 were specially chosen to demonstrate to it the absolute nadir of horror filmmaking while simultaneously convincing that they are, that are, they are the apex. This way, the Foundation can contain him by preserving his ignorance of the world's true horrors. That's why I only pick, ever pick Hay, Hayes Code era films, Joe added. They feature no nudity, virtually no gore or violence, and they've even got a goofy, friendly, friendly charm their modern powder counterparts tend to lack. This way, 2006 won't accidentally learn about things like blood-covered zombies or torture porn or shooting squirrels because they're gay. At the very <laughs> least... <laughs> <What>? the, <laughs> that's definitely a specific reference to some horror movie that we oh. don't know. Totally. God, can someone, if someone knows what that knows. is, please, like, tweet at us or something. Yeah. I, at, oh, my God. Yeah. At All the right, very least, going. I think 2006's <laughs> containment procedures need serious revision. The phrase low-quality horror film really isn't as specific as O5 Command properly probably thinks, since that covers everything from Ed Wood to, Yes, I'm aware, Miss Law, Dr. Devane said curtly. We hired you so that you can use that expertise to create a short list of films for SCP-2006 to view. Films which, according to its containment procedures, must be of low quality and used to demonstrate that these represent the pinnacle of fear in the human condition. I know, Joe said as she attempted to hide her exasperation. What I'm trying to say is that in order to understand how we can successfully protect people from its negative effects, we may not have to contain it at all. We could possibly reclassify it as Euclid, or maybe even a Thaumiel. Miss Law, this assembly is not what the SCP Foundation is for. We understand 2006 to a perfectly acceptable degree, and its containment procedures are in place for a reason. If it breached containment and learned what really scares people, it will result in something more akin to an episode of Scooby-Doo than a breach of 682 or 106's magnitude, Joe said, interrupting him for a second time. The blotches behind his ears were beginning to spread down his neck. My experience with 2006 tells me it doesn't want to hurt people. It wants to scare people. In my mind, those are entirely different things. I've seen the printouts, Joe went on. When it successfully scares somebody, or its brain chemistry or whatever you want to call it, spikes in ways that are extremely similar to a five-year-old blowing out a candle on a birthday cake or a mother holding her newborn kid for a first time. I'm not sure it understands why humans feel fear or what it would even do with the concept of nuclear war. I think it would help if we asked it. Through this speech, Joe's supervisor continued to look at her with this level, measured gaze. She could see him taking deep breaths in and out through his nose, and she noticed the redness spread across his face. She changed her tactics. What is the purpose of life, Dr. Devane? I'm afraid I don't understand this question, or why you're asking. 
What is the purpose of life? Joe repeated. The doctor looked, as, looked at her as though she had just asked him what, why cat piss was leaking out of his ears. I'll tell you what I think. I think we're here to make life better for each other. And we're here to make the world a better place to make each other happy. You probably think it's naive, and you're probably right, but that's how I feel. Miss Lowe, it, it is our job to make life better for the entirety of the human race. We cannot cater to the needs or whims of these anomalous entities. It goes against the very principles on which this organization was founded. I'm not saying we give 2006 its own themed carnival, she said. Not yet, anyway. I'm just saying we can loosen up containment procedures or maybe even change its classification with a few tweaks. Your enthusiasm for this particular project has been duly noted, Miss Lowe. De Dr. Devane finally said finally, some of the redness receding from his cheek. I recommend testing sessions with some of the mystery science piece movies that 2006 has yet to see. Will that be an acceptable compromise? I suppose, Joe relented. But Doctor, I think Dr. Loaf and Dr. Wensley are blowing this all out of proportion. I don't think 2006 wants to scare people. I think what it wants is to make them happy. It just doesn't understand the difference. Dr. Devane took a deep breath and then let out a deep sigh. You're young, Joe. He said, his voice calm and almost vulnerable. I do genuinely appreciate your enthusiasm, and frankly, I wish more of our personnel had your attitude. However, the fact of the matter is that the containment of these entities was done for a reason, and whether or not we agree with that reason, we still have to follow procedure and keep it contained. You'll understand, given more time in your position. I am confident in that. He smiled warmly. Judd tried to return the smile, but it felt forced, so she dropped the attempt. Dr. Devane turned and left her workspace, and Joe sighed before swiveling back in front of her computer. She needed to prepare for the next testing session with 2006. She needed to know whether the comedy she'd chosen was droll enough to pass through his quality control. I'm sorry, Ranger Bran. I guess all this talk of horrible mutilation has me on edge. That's all right, Dr. Armstrong. This horrible mutilation has a whole lot of people on a whole lot of edges. Joe didn't laugh at the line, at least not outwardly. She hadn't laughed at Manos. Not at Boggy Creek, too. Not at Leechwoman. This was small potatoes. Are they scared, Miss Joe? SCP-2006 swiveled his bony skull head towards Joe Lowe and fixed her gaze with its hollow eye sockets. Joe paused for a moment longer than she had meant to before forcing her eyes wide with pretend fear. Oh no! Oh dear! Joe shouted at the top of her lungs. She clutched at her chest as though her heart was pounding like a jackhammer. The bucket in her lap flew up into the air, raining salty, buttery popcorn down on the SCP and junior researcher. Please don't hurt me. I don't ever wish to become the bride of the lost skeleton. Relax, Miss Joe, it's only me, 2006 said through fleshless skeleton lips. His tone of voice had the slightest edge of irritation. I'm glad I'm scaring you at all, but I want to watch the movie with you. Oh, 2006, Joe said as she let out a loud, melodramatic sigh. I nearly died from the scare you gave me. I wasn't trying to scare you, not this time, 2006 replied, and shifted its face to that of a dark-haired man with a glorious black mustache. It crinkled its forehead in disapproval, and Joe was left wondering if this was the reason it changed its face to begin with. I want to watch the scary movie with you. It's very scary. Skeletons are very scary. The master would approve, Joe agreed, and the disapproving look faded from 2006 face. It jumped to its feet and threw its arm up gleefully, the red handprints on its black cloak waving in sympathetic excitement. 206, do, or 2006, do you like it here? Of course. 2006 clutched up onto the back of its seat as it shifted into a rubber pterodactyl of enormous size, somehow not falling off of the headrest. It turned its glued on googly eyes to face Joe, and as one of the eyeballs rode haphazardly back and forth in its plastic case, she stifled a laugh. This place is full of the best scary movies, and there are all sorts of people to practice my scaring skills on so I can keep them touch notch. And best of all, I can sit down and watch movies with you. What if I told you there was another way, 2006? Joe began. 2006 tilted its pterodactyl head in what was probably confusion, though it was hard to tell given its current form. What if I told you you could interact with more people, scare more people, and watch scary movies all day to your hearts? 
The moment to kill Agent that flashed before her eyes didn't give Cho time to finish her semi-accidental containment breach. She slumped motionless in her folding chair as 2006 looked on. Bro. Is Joe? 2006 examined her lifeless body closely, poked her with one green rubber wing. She didn't respond. Did I scare you to death? I knew it. I knew I was the scariest. No one can't say I don't still got it. It settled back into its chair to finish the movies. Joe's dead eyes scared, stared at the screen, but saw nothing. Dr. Devane sipped his tea and mentally apologized to his underling while he typed up the final mem- memorandum regarding her death. Damn, that's fucking sad, yo. She was... Oh. Bro, okay, now here's an interview. Damn. Alright, um... I... Do you want to be the skipper again? And I can be yes, Dr. Dr. D. Damn, that's fucking sad. Okay. Um, yeah, this this end this is sad also. <laughs> so the forward, uh, 2006 has been lethargic lately and has shown decidedly lackluster in excitement and causing fear and terror in all researches and D-class assigned to it. Dr. D redacted, which I'm assuming is Devane, uh, but not, not sure necessarily, um, was assigned to investigate possible causes for the psychological lapse. Begin log. Dr. D enters 2006's cell to find it hovering in a corner in spherical form. 2006? Are you- Oh, dear heavens. Clattering can be heard as Dr. D leaps away from the SCP in mock fear and shock. 2006 does not change its forward. Oh, you're scared. Good, I suppose. Well, of course, 2006. You're the master of fear. Sometimes I wish I wasn't. What do you mean? Why didn't Miss Joe get back up? Miss Joe? Oh, researcher, junior researcher, well, well, you uh, scared her to death. You're the master of fear, 2006. Anyone else could have done it. I scared her to death? You sure did. There's no one as scary as you, 2006. Why didn't she get back up when the movie was over? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I don't understand. Well, when human beings die, like when a shark eats them or they get their brain sucked out by Martians, they get better so they can do it again afterwards. Ah, I, uh, I see. If Joe isn't getting back up, can you tell me when she does? And then tell me when she's coming back? I miss movie nights and popcorn and rabid nuclear bunny rabbit. I will, uh, make sure to, um... Dr. D trails off before clearing his throat. He screams at the top of his lungs. 2006 does not move or change its appearance. Oh dear, 2006, I thought you were a horrible abomination from beyond Jupiter. I'm still right here, Doc. Haven't even changed. Don't really feel like it. Why is that? Fear's the best emotion. It's fun and exciting in nature, data expunged, pump-like redacted. It's something Miss Joe and I could share. You want to know what the worst emotion is? I... yes, I do. The emotion where you want somebody to come visit you, but you don't know where they went or if they're ever coming back. Longing. The word you're looking for is longing, 2006. I don't want to look for it. I don't want to feel it ever again. It's horrible and lonely and makes things not scary anymore. I want it to go away until Riesel's lip rip its flesh and then never come back. A longer silence. Dr. D clears his throat again. Well, I uh, I think I've got everything I need. Thank you, 2006. I'll see you next month. Will you tell me when Miss Joe gets better? Of course. I will alert you the moment she returns. Good. Scaring people just isn't the same anymore. Miss Joe is smart. She might be able to tell me why. Closing, Closing statement. statement. Following incident 2006 low, SCP-2006 containment procedures no longer require acting courses. Screening films should be discontinued as well, as it no longer seems to affect 2006's behavior. Any request for a Miss Joe or a similar individual should be ignored or deflected. Bro. Oh, wait, okay, so I, I'm, I'm, like, very slightly confused. So, 
She she's saying, if I told you you can interact with more people, scare more people, and watch scary movies all day to your hearts, and then it said the mimetic kill agent that flashed before her eyes didn't give Joe the time to finish her semi-accidental containment breach. What the fu- what what did she? Devane killed her because she was gonna suggest going out of the containment chamber. And like being out there. So just not okay. Damn. Bro, and now he's sad. Yeah. <laughs> this one sad isn't canon. Man. This is where it comes into SCP. This one's not canon. Yeah. Damn, that fucking sucks, yo. Bro. He's cool though. He's a cool dude. And he's like that because that one didn't happen because I said so. <laughs> because I said so. He's scary he's scary man. He's he is very, very scary man. Spooky, spooky boy. Spooky, scary man. Um, did you wanna? Did you wanna do that last one, Nightmare Snow Globes, real quick? Nah. Nah? Let's keep it all themed to this one dude and also that one hundred six tale. Yeah. Okay. Halloween. So this is yeah. This was the the spook the spook episode. Hope you all enjoyed. Um, I personally like Roman a lot. I think I like him. I like the guy. Yeah. Rest in peace. (laughs) Rest in peace, Joe Lowe. Um, Except not, you're still, like, because that one doesn't count. Man, it's still scary. Yeah, but it still makes me sad. <laughs> it's still sad. Um, yeah, so that was that one. Uh, if you guys have any other suggestions in the future, we'll get to them hopefully sooner Maybe. than almost two years. But no guarantees, I'm not saying for sure. No guarantees. God, that was almost two fucking years ago. Bro. We've been doing this for a long time. That's kind of crazy. Uh, that's terrifying. <laughs> Just a little bit. Okay. That's, that's so bad, actually. Oh, my God. What? Just how long we've taken to... Time progressing. Yeah. <laughs> Time uh, progressing in general. We're getting into that existential part of it. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll end the episode before we do that. But this is a fun Halloween one. This is a good season to share things with your friend. Share, <laughs> yeah. share, share show. Yeah. So that that's all for this one. We will uh, see you guys in the, in the next time in... Uh, on this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We said it at the same time. That's great. Alright. Um, yeah. I don't fucking know what else. I, I'm talking out of my ass like I usually do. That's all for yep. this one. It's, Our this brains don't been, work. This has been it's Dave fine. and not Dave. Um, Dave. Soren and not Soren. <laughs> fuck you. That's us. <laughs> Alright. Well, uh, we'll see you. We'll see y'all next time. We'll see y'all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.